Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Welcome to Weekend, a podcast that helps you switch off from your busy day-to-day and find entertainment and inspiration in the best Guardian and Observer writing from the week. You can either listen to this as one podcast or play each article as individual listens. Just scroll down the description on the podcast page for the timings of what we are featuring. Coming up, actor Simon Pegg reflects on growing up, joining the A-list elite and embracing home life in Blighty. Marina Hyde implores us to ignore Lord Lebedev's links to the KGB and family money and just focus on his successes. And writer Joel Snape reveals all you need to know about 2023's hottest health topic, inflammation. Before we begin, just a warning. There's a bit of bad language in this episode. Now, Simon Pegg has called time on the nerdy stuff and says he'd rather watch Succession than sci-fi. As for his A-list status, friendship with Tom Cruise, and box office pulling power, well, he'd take Hertfordshire over Hollywood anytime, notes Tim Lewis. Read by Jason Doan. Last summer, the actor and writer Simon Pegg and the writer-director Edgar Wright holed up for a week at Pegg's home in Hertfordshire to see if they could break ground on a fourth feature film together. Their previous three, a.k.a. the Cornetto trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, 2004, Hot Fuzz, 2007, and The World's End, 2013, are all standards on any list of the best British films of the 21st century, and have made both Pegg and Wright bona fide Hollywood heavyweights. The pair also created Spaced, one of the all-time great sitcoms, which Pegg wrote and starred in with Jessica Hines. But progress on film number four, Pegg admits, wrinkling his nose, was slow. Was it the pressure of following those previous iconic films? Pegg shakes his head. Edgar bought his dog, Peter, and Peter was very distracting, he replies, in his West Country-inflected half-drawl. I have three dogs, they're schnauzers too. Well, two now, but I had three then, and they're quite well behaved. But Peter's a little rascal. Peg and Wright did, though, make some decisions last summer, and it's bad news for anyone hoping for a Cornetto quadrilogy. Whatever Edgar and I do next, we're not going to rely on what we've done before, says Peg, whose hair is slicked back, beard neatly trimmed, 
and is wearing oversized retro glasses with amber-tinted lenses. I like the idea of pissing people off. There's something fun about torching everything. Everything that people think we are, that's what we won't be. We should do something that no one's expecting. Peg laughs. But no one wants. Or at least they don't realise they want yet. If I ever do an Instagram Live or whatever, people are always like, I need Shaun of the Dead 2 in my life. And I'm like, no you don't fucking need Shaun of the Dead 2. The last thing you need is Shaun of the Dead 2. It's done. Move on. Peg is sort of joking, but also sort of very much not. He wrote Spaced and Shaun of the Dead in his late 20s and early 30s because he believed, probably accurately, that the only way to snag the acting roles he wanted in first TV, then films, was to create those parts himself. He lived in flat shares in North London and had been obsessed since childhood with sci-fi, zombies, video games and action movies, and all these elements found their way into the scripts. Peg drank a bit too much and had a slightly chaotic life. So did his characters. But Peg these days is very different. He's 53 now and lives with his wife, Mo, and their teenage daughter, Tilly, in a house surrounded by fields. He's teetotal and in confoundingly good nick. Tom Cruise once called him eight-pack Peggles. Yes, Tom Cruise, he's a pal. The pair having worked together for more than 15 years on the Mission Impossible series the seventh instalment of which, Dead Reckoning Part 1, is the reason we are here today. Peg knows he no longer has to write parts to be asked, often by his boyhood heroes, to act in them. He's been Scotty in three Star Trek films, appeared in 2015 Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Steven Spielberg cast him as one of the Thompson twins in The Adventures of Tintin. I say no to a lot of things, says Peg, in the garden of a grand house in Hertfordshire, not his, that is the backdrop for the photographs on these pages. I made a name for myself as a comedic actor, but I'd quite like to flex different muscles. And I didn't plan to be a comedic actor. Comedy was just something I enjoyed and seemed to be able to do. Now, if I get offered comedies, I turn them down, because I want to do it with Edgar and nobody else. The changes have been more profound than film choices. Peg has come to look at nostalgia as almost a neurological disorder that makes us resistant to change. This culture of infantilised adulthood, all these grown-ass men arguing about fucking superheroes online, and meanwhile the world is falling apart in so many different ways, he says. And that's why we will all go to hell, because no one will grow the fuck up anymore. Everybody's so plugged in to being a child, you know? Back in 2009, he called his autobiography Nerd Do Well. That title doesn't fit anymore. I've aged out of a lot of what people assume I'm about. I don't feel like I'm that geeky guy anymore, particularly. I don't have the same interests I had when I was 35 or 40, even. I'd much rather watch Succession than some sci-fi. Peg's Ascent remains one of the great recent Hollywood creation stories. In one of the most entertaining parts of it, he and Wright were asked in an interview after Shaun of the Dead whether they planned to leave the UK behind and make action films in the US. Peg responded, It's not like we're going to go away and do, I don't know, 
scanning his brain for an imaginary and unimaginable blockbuster. Mission Impossible 3. The reply was honest. Pegg had not long before done an audition for a small part in the Mission Impossible franchise, something involving a helicopter, and heard nothing. But then the original director, Joe Carnahan, left the project, and Cruz brought in alias creator J.J. Abrahams, who was a huge fan of Shaun of the Dead. Ricky Gervais was set to play Cruz's sidekick, Benji Dunn, but dropped out and Pegg was given the nod. So it was a huge irony that I'd said, I'm not going to go off and do this, says Pegg. But then, at that time, there was this attitude that anyone who went off to Hollywood was betraying their roots in some sense, or selling out. It's not like you cross some misty bridge at night and never come home again. So many people assume that I live over there, but, you know, I live in Hertfordshire. Pegg's big movie break in Mission Impossible 3 proved to be intense and unsettling. For the child who had grown up obsessed with film, in first Gloucester, then Stratford-upon-Avon. His father was a musician, his mother acted in local theatre, they separated when he was six. It should have felt like everything falling into place. But Pegg was starting to unravel mentally. He had suffered bouts of depression since he was 18, and his fallback coping mechanism was to drink heavily. By 2005, when he landed in Los Angeles to start the shoot, he could barely hold it together. I was not in a good place, emotionally and physically, Peg recalls. It was a weird thing as well, because the dreams I'd had as a kid were manifesting, and I wasn't happy and I couldn't figure out why. And that was down to personal things, depression. I had to get happy in myself before I could start enjoying anything else, which I did, but at that time it was very frustrating to be there and not be able to fully enjoy it, because I just felt all at sea. Pegg had been accustomed on the projects he wrote to working every day. Now, on Mission Impossible 3, he had to be always available, but was little used. I was put in a hotel in Beverly Hills, and I waited for eight days before anyone called me and told me what I was doing or gave me any lines, he said. I went completely stir-crazy, and I was drinking to pass the time. Then you get hung over, and you wind up not feeling great. I didn't have a car, and I remember the hotel had a car service, and I got them to take me down to the coast, to Santa Monica, and I sat in ye old king's head, this British pub, and drank Stella's to feel some semblance of normality. It would be a few more years before Peg sought help and went to rehab, Rock Bottom came in July 2011, after a chaotic four days at the Comic-Con convention in San Diego, California. He insists he can see the effects of the drinking in his performances around this time, but nevertheless, Benji Dunn became a key character in Mission Impossible, an irreverent comic foil to Cruz's intense Ethan Hunt. With each film, Pegg was given more to do, and perhaps not coincidentally, the franchise has not only not tailed off, but ramped up the action and the jeopardy with each instalment. Part of the thrill, undeniably, is the vicarious pleasure of watching the world's most famous movie star engage in high-stakes lunacy. The Mission Impossible films tend to use real locations rather than green screen or sound stages, 
and Cruz does the stunts without camera trickery. These have included scaling the half-mile-high Burj Khalifa Tower in Dubai without a harness in 2011's Ghost Protocol, and clinging onto the outside of an aeroplane as it took off in Rogue Nation 2015. In Dead Reckoning Part 1, we can see from the trailer that Cruz careens off a cliff on a motorcycle. This is far and away the most dangerous thing I've attempted, Cruz has said. Peg, who was on location in Norway that day, agrees. I've only ever seen him nervous a few times. One when he was hanging off the plane in Rogue Nation, and this time, he says. And yeah, he did it. I think six times in one day. And we were up there when he did it. And it was scary, because we'd see him go off and he'd disappear, and we'd just wait. And then there would be silence, until we heard the canopy and we'd know the chute had opened. Off-screen, Peg and Cruz have become genuine friends. They don't talk about religion. Cruz is a Scientologist, Peg an atheist. And it hasn't stopped being weird, at least for Peg, that they might jump into a helicopter one afternoon, for example, and go swimming with sharks off the coast of South Africa. But the admiration is obvious. What you get with the mission films is the presence of true danger, says Peg. It delivers an authenticity which I think is absent from almost every other action franchise. Because not only are those stunts being done, they're being done by him. It's like Buster Keaton when the house front falls down and he goes through the window, Peg continues. That's still more exciting to look at than a thousand CGI aliens coming at you. And that's what Tom really understands. He understands film. He understands the audience. He probably knows more about filmmaking than anyone in the business. He's been around longer than anyone that's in power at a studio. He's the real deal. Peg remains highly ambitious for his career, but he does admit that otherwise he finds it harder to leave home these days. He has a cinema room and he's working through a list of the 100 best horror movies with his daughter Tilly. Everything from killer clowns from outer space to hereditary and the human centipede. Um, how old is she? Peg smiles. She's just about to turn 14, but she loves it. She really loved The Shining. She's very interested in the actual filmmaking process and performing as well, so I feel like she'll probably drift into the family business in some capacity. I love, love, love my home life, Peg goes on, and it's what I want to maintain through my job. If I can keep that, I'll be happy. I never want to leave the house, really. I don't go to parties. I don't like going out. I'll avoid having to go anywhere if I possibly can. The happiest place for me is in my armchair, watching TV with my dogs and my daughter. One event that does get Peg out of the house is a Coldplay gig. He met the band in the late 1990s and became close with Chris Martin. They would go to the pub and then come home and Martin would sit in the kitchen playing acoustic guitar. At the V Festival 2001, Martin asked Peg if he wanted to come on stage and play the harmonica, and it's become a rolling invitation over the years. Last summer, Peg joined the band on tambourine at Wembley Stadium for their song A Sky Full of Stars. About a minute in, Martin stopped the music, After apologising to the 90,000 crowd, he introduced Peg as the world's number one tambourine player and said, 
He's our brother and we love him so much. With the harmonica you're always worried you're going to hit a bum note, says Peg. But it's such a low pressure gig. They handed me the tambourine on a cushion. It was so much fun. He's such a sweet... They have four very, very cool guys. And I've seen them go from indie darlings to stadium fillers and they've not really changed at all as people. For Peg, that's a high compliment. He certainly has changed over the years. But he hopes that his core fundamental personality has been unaltered by the unexpected ride he's been on. Fame doesn't necessarily turn you into an arsehole, but it brings out the arsehole you've always been, says Peg. I think you have to be smart to be famous, because you have to constantly understand that it doesn't really mean anything. Does Peg think he's managed that, not being an arsehole? Well, I hope so, he says with a grin. You tell me. That was I'm Not That Geeky Guy Anymore, Simon Pegg on Comedy, Action Heroes and Staying at Home by Tim Lewis, read by Jason Doan. Next, over to a mysteriously empty seat in the House of Lords, as Marina Hyde implores, stop banging on about Lebedev's lapdog politicians and garden parties for the powerful. Why can't we just see Evgeny as a success? Read by Serena Mantegi. Let me transport you to a 2016 house party at the Umbrian estate of Evgeny Lebedev, now Lord Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia. Glamour model Katie Price has just twice enlivened dinner by showing the table her latest breasts. According to one report, she is subsequently escorted to the kitchen by Evgeny's former SAS bodyguards and not seen again for the weekend. According to fellow guest Joan Collins, Pricey only repeated the tit trick because Joanie requested she show it to fellow fellow guest Boris Johnson, who was, at the time, Foreign Secretary in Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's government. This was not Johnson's only trip to the estate. On a stay two years later, he met Lebedev's father, the former KGB agent Alexander, without officials present. And, according to a 2021 report by uninvited guests, the Italian security services, who, it was this week revealed, were monitoring the property at the time, and had been for several years, it could not be ruled out that Lebedev Sr. still worked for Russian intelligence, and still enjoyed the favour of Putin. And, according to what a member of Italy's Foreign Affairs Committee told a new Channel 4 documentary entitled Boris the Lord and the Russian Spy, you should really be careful on what kind of relationship you keep with such a person. Well now, it is, as they say, a lot. To Evgeny Lebedev then, whose subsequent peerage remains a matter of controversy. Events at the Italian estate of the Evening Standard proprietor and independent shareholder sound intriguing. Someone once told me, the famous guests are flown out by private jet and are, to varying degrees, horrified to learn that they will be flying back by budget airline. Entertainments at the castle seem varied. I heard some eye-poppingly baroque rumours. 
though Lord Lebedev is keener in public to digress on the restored castle's location. As he told one magazine, the Holy Roman Emperor's army knew how to find the right spot. As does Evgeny, you sense. As for his own location, he can usually be banked on not to be found in the House of Lords, boasting a mere 1% attendance record. In February, Evgeny had gone an entire year without saying anything in proceedings in the chamber. When he had faced similar criticism the previous year, he hastily scrambled to table precisely two written questions. Lebedev minds dreadfully about things that are said about him, it seems. A previous column I wrote about him resulted in an odd piece of behind-the-scenes behaviour. If you're reading this one, your lordship, please spare yourself another show of weakness. While such a thing would obviously be amusing to me, someone, someone needs to tell you that it is most unbecoming to you. So, who are we dealing with here, apart from London's biggest starfucker, Tough Field? Evgeny thinks it's very grand to have his houses photographed in Architectural Digest and World of Interiors and so on. Again, someone needs to tell him. A few years ago, a World of Interiors interviewer who visited his house in the Hampton Court Deer Park fawned hilariously, praising some cushions of silk damask I would sell my soul for. Of particular note, apparently, were improved copies of 18th century originals, the cornice newly copied from a Chippendale in Dumfries house, and a Lutchin's design but modified for contemporary needs. Lebedev himself took the opportunity to claim one artwork as representative of Putin's ideology. According to Evgeny, this was the Eurasian Union, this new kind of philosophy of a Russian state more focused on the East than the West. Mm-hmm. A week or so after the Brexit vote, Lebedev hosted a garden party at this particular house, where select attendees included Rupert Murdoch, Nigel Farage and Lily Allen, who seemed surprised to find herself at a social gathering where such people would also be guests, to which we can only say, wake up. Alas, it is unclear whether the many celebrities and public figures who buzz obediently round Lebedev will also wake up, or prefer to keep on accepting his hospitality and donations to their pet charitable causes, and his preferred narrative that he is merely a poor victim of anti-Russian racism, instead of ever wondering, even vaguely, what it is all actually in aid of. Evgeny himself bristles at the suggestion of anything other than public service, asking rhetorically after he was awarded the peerage, is it not remarkable that the son of a KGB agent and a first-generation immigrant to this country has become such an assimilated and contributing member of British society. What a success for our system, don't you think? In fact, Lebedev Jr. is very far from a victim. He is an extremely rich man, and his family has held on to its wealth, and indeed lives, in a world where emigre displeasers of Putin frequently do not. Far from being held back by anything at all, he rises and rises, with media proprietorship merely a part of it. He now sits in the upper legislative chamber of the British Parliament, put there against almost 
all advice by Boris Johnson, a man you sense the celebrities are not minded to buzz around, which should certainly give them pause, but apparently has yet to. It's notable how many of his posturings feel like imitations, from the interiors of his houses to his public positions. Look closely at his lavishly curtained four-posters or oddly instigator-light accounts of the horrors of the war in Ukraine and you might see that they are very expensive reproductions. Bought-in copies of the bed one ought to have or the opinion one ought to hold, but remodelled for his own convenience. I used to think of him as a terminally ridiculous figure, but with each unsettling new revelation, perhaps you must accept that there is nothing terminal about it. That was Links to the KGB. Come on, guys. Lord Lebedev just wants to be a public servant. By Marina Hyde. Read by Serena Manteghi. We'll be back after this short break. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome back to Weekend. Finally, inflammation is the scourge of modern life, judging by all the supplements, workouts and diets that promise to fight it, says Joel Snape. But what precisely gets inflamed and why? And is it always a bad thing? Read by Jason Doan. To understand what can go wrong with our bodies, It helps to remember that they haven't evolved much since we were hunting and gathering a few thousand years ago. Our greedy response to sugar, for instance, worked well when we could only get it from wild berries. Now that it's combined with salt and fat into foods we can't stop eating, it can be a problem. Or consider our stress response. If the only time your body reroutes resources from the immune system to your fight-or-flight system is during the occasional saber-toothed tiger attack, that's fine. If every mean tweet, upsetting headline or twinge of worry about the mortgage sends your systems into panic mode, your body never gets a chance to recuperate. Inflammation, one of the least understood and most debated topics in health, works a bit like this. There are hundreds of cookbooks that promise to deliver an anti-inflammatory diet with supplements, gels, teas, workouts, saunas and cryotherapy chambers offering the possibility of even more dramatic results. But inflammation, at its core, 
is a vital part of the body's immune response, not something to try to eliminate. It is a complex biological process that occurs when the body detects harmful stimuli and its purpose is to protect you and kickstart healing. Sometimes this process gets out of control, leading to chronic inflammation that damages rather than heals. The tricky part? Our understanding of this process is evolving. There is a chance that if you tweak your knee on a five-a-side pitch, you will still be given medical advice that was flipped on its head a decade ago. So, how much do we really know about inflammation, and when should you let it work its magic? Inflammation is the immune system's response to any traumatic event in the body tissues, from a demanding workout to a scraped knee to a bout of flu. Your immune system releases white blood cells to protect the area, and you will probably experience some redness, warmth and swelling in the affected spot, occasionally with soreness and pain where the process stimulates nerves. When you are injured, this happens in the affected spot. When you have flu, swelling and pain occur in the respiratory system, but might also contribute to the muscle and joint pain or headaches you experience. This is acute inflammation. It's part of our defence system, and we all have it, happening in varying degrees and duration depending on what has caused it in the first place, says Tim Spector, Professor of Genetic Epidemiology at King's College London. It's only a problem when it goes wrong, usually by overreacting in some way. Crucially though, acute inflammation is usually what you want to happen, and trying to prevent it might cause even more problems. We'll come back to this. Chronic inflammation is more of a worry. This happens when the body continues to send white blood cells on the attack in the absence of any threat. This disrupts normal bodily functions and can result in healthy tissues and organs being attacked. Autoimmune disease can bring it about, and so can foreign agents entering the body. It could be a serious problem, even if it's not immediately evident. I think we are realising that chronic inflammation is part of many diseases we didn't think it was previously involved in, says Spectre. Nearly every disease is associated with some disorder of inflammation, and it's now considered a key part of ageing. So chronic inflammation really is an issue, and something we should be trying to reduce. It tends to be less obvious than acute inflammation. It often causes fatigue, but any pain will be less localised. Crucially, the causes still aren't fully understood. The most immediately dangerous and obvious autoimmune disorders occur when the immune system mistakenly targets and attacks the body's cells, thinking that they are foreign invaders or when a defect occurs in the systems that usually mediate acute inflammation. But these are breakdowns in the body's communication systems and deal with problems that don't actually exist, like an overzealous guard dog barking at shadows. Chronic inflammation can also be a result of the body's failure to deal with genuine problems, ranging from infectious organisms to industrial chemicals. And this is where we have to consider 
whether 21st century living is promoting levels of chronic inflammation that didn't exist before. Our modern environments have been markedly transformed, from the food we eat to the air we breathe, to how we move and relate to others, says Dr. Shilpa Ravella, assistant professor of medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. Our immune systems are constantly triggered in this new environment, leading to chronic and often low-level inflammation that is linked to various kinds of disease. Many inflammatory issues start in the gut, where a huge amount of the trillions of bacteria, viruses, fungi and other organisms that make up every human's microbiome live. Scientists are still unravelling the complexities of the relationship between us and these microbes, but it's well accepted that one of the key interactions between them and our immune cells involves training our bodies to distinguish harmless food and germs from their more toxic counterparts. Keeping the bad stuff out without sending our immune systems into overdrive is a fine balance, but one where our foraging-friendly gut errs on the side of tolerance, offering a muted inflammatory response compared with other areas of the body. Sometimes this response can go awry, with genes and the environment colluding to disrupt the balance, creating food allergies, celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease or other problems, explains Ravella. What causes this disruption? For most people, ultra-processed foods, UPFs, are likely to be a factor. Defined by researchers as snacks, drinks, ready meals and other products created mostly or entirely from substances extracted from foods, or derived from food constituents with little if any intact food, and often highly convenient and palatable, these form a substantial proportion of the typical Western diet. A review published this year concluded that evidence on the association between UPF consumption and inflammation is still limited, but there is certainly evidence, in mice at least, that artificial sweeteners and additives can alter the makeup of microorganisms found in the gut, making it a more inflammatory environment. Other factors may conspire to leave us chronically inflamed. Life is full of long-term stresses that have been linked to increases in inflammatory markers. Sleep loss and a disruption of the circadian rhythms can be a factor. Bad news if you're staring at a screen well after sunset. There are less easily avoidable environmental factors to worry about too. Recent studies, for instance, suggest an association with long-term exposure to air pollution. So, how do you deal with all this? First, do not try to prevent inflammation when it's actually doing you good. If you're injured in a sporting context, for instance, you might find a well-wisher suggesting you use the popular RICE protocol rest, ice, compression, elevation. But while it might alleviate pain, according to a 2015 blog post by Dr. Gabe Merkin, the originator of the acronym, it appears that both ice and complete rest may delay healing instead of helping. Applying ice to injured tissue causes blood vessels near the injury to constrict, 
and shut off the blood flow that brings in the healing cells of inflammation. Anything that reduces inflammation also delays healing. Rest doesn't prevent inflammation, but a bit of movement can get blood to the affected areas, meaning that doing some very low-intensity exercise after an injury can help the healing process. Hampering your own body's attempts to fix itself also applies to other forms of anti-inflammatory pain relief, including ibuprofen, one of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. A study presented last year suggests that taking anti-inflammatories for conditions such as osteoarthritis might worsen inflammation in the knee joint over time, with regular NSAID users showing worse cartilage quality than a control group. In another study, admittedly conducted on ultramarathoners, ibuprofen use was related to elevated indicators of inflammation. More research is needed, and the occasional ibuprofen tablet is unlikely to do lasting damage, but it is worth keeping an eye on. Of course, this still leaves you trying to limit chronic inflammation. There are a number of ways to do this, but one of the most effective is to start at the gut. Reduce processed and refined foods, while also limiting added sugars and sugary beverages, says Dr. Sunny Patel, a wellness coach with more than 15 years of clinical experience. Focus on consuming whole, minimally processed foods that are rich in nutrients and have anti-inflammatory properties. Include plenty of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins such as fish, poultry, beans, legumes and healthy fats. What you cook with also makes a difference. Emphasize herbs and spices with anti-inflammatory properties such as turmeric, ginger and garlic. There is also some evidence that the omega-3 fatty acids EPA and DHA have anti-inflammatory effects so try to eat a mixture of foods that are high in those, including fatty fish such as salmon or mackerel, flax seeds, chia seeds and walnuts. Avoiding excess alcohol is also important. Among other things, booze disrupts your gut bacteria. What about not eating at all for periods of time? Part of the rationale for intermittent fasting is that it mimics the sporadic availability of food that would have been the norm for much of human history. And some research suggests that it can help to limit inflammation. It goes back to this idea that if you give your body the time it needs to repair itself, it will help autophagy, or the destruction of damaged and unnecessary cells, says Spectre. Early research is promising, but more studies are needed. What else? There is some evidence that exercise can reduce inflammation and responses to stress, says Spectre, partly because it can help to prevent obesity which causes inflammation in itself and partly because it comes with its own benefits. Exercise doesn't have to be too strenuous. A 2017 study conducted by the University of California San Diego School of Medicine found that even one 20-minute session of moderate exercise can stimulate the immune system, producing an anti-inflammatory response. 
but older research suggests that resistance training also helps, implying that the best bet is a mixture of both. If you can, take your walks where there is greenery. You can change your relationships to the microbes living on, in and around you by increasing your contact with the natural world, says Ravella. Forest bathing. Essentially, taking a walk in the woods and being mindful of what is around you can help us de-stress, but also exposes us to bacteria, viruses and fungi that can boost our own. De-stressing in other ways is helpful too, and so is sleep. If you can get your circadian rhythms in order by going to bed at a regular time that allows repair to occur and makes blood sugar spikes less likely, says Spectre, it all helps. If all this seems a lot to remember, the best advice is to do what a hunter-gatherer would do. Go on long walks, occasionally indulge in some strenuous physical exertion, and try not to worry too much. Oh, and don't eat anything that you don't recognise as food. We aren't that evolved, after all. That was The Truth About Inflammation. All you need to know about 2023's hottest health topic, From Causes to Cures, by Joel Snape. Read by Jason Doan. That's all from us. This has been Weekend, a Guardian podcast. If you're enjoying it, please make sure to like, subscribe to and rate the podcast. Maybe even leave us a nice review. Just search for Weekend wherever you get your podcasts. This week's articles were read by Jason Doan and Serena Mantegi and presented by me, Savannah Ayode-Greaves. This episode was produced by Rachel Porter. The executive producer is Ellie Bury. Join us again next Saturday. Thanks for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.